Well, y'all notice anything different? The speakers are gone. That's right. The uh, guy's been working diligently this week on uh, trying to tune in for the uh, tune in the new system. You can say you were there the first Sunday of the new system and all that. It only it only took 18 years, you know, for us to be able to pony up on that. But uh, here we are, and we're, we're grateful for it, and uh, grateful for all of you and your faithfulness for helping it to happen, uh, because it wouldn't otherwise. Uh, Rick, thank you for all your help, and we appreciate you and, and uh, Blackhawk and all y'all have done for us. A um, couple things. Uh, man, it's, it's, we're, we're getting into that time of year, uh, getting close to Christmas, and uh, we'll be having a Christmas, starting a Christmas series in a couple of weeks. We're excited about that. Uh, you know, there's several things that I, I'm going to go ahead and mention, although we're way out from them. Uh, Christmas Day is on a Sunday. We've had this happen before, and uh, the last time that it happened, uh, we did what we're going to do this year, which is we had uh, a Christmas Eve service, and then we encouraged everybody to be with their families on Christmas Day. So uh, we will not be having a service on that Sunday morning, uh, but we will be having, of course, our Christmas Eve services, our service that we, uh, we have on uh, Saturday night. So come be a part of that. Uh, that's a come in your pajamas kind of thing. And, uh, you know, we have a good time. Uh, it's, it's great. So hope that you can hope that you can make that with us. Uh, and then uh, because of the way the calendar falls, uh, then New Year's Day uh, is also a Sunday. And so uh, what we've decided to do is we're going to have a New Year's Day service at five o'clock in the afternoon. So you can stay up late and do all the things, and then we're gonna we're actually gonna do we're gonna do kind of like a, a different kind of like a prayer service uh, to kind of start off the year together, uh, and then uh, have uh, I think hot chocolate and hot dogs, little fires going and stuff like that. So uh, you know we we hope that you can uh, you can make all that, but I figure the sooner you know about it, the sooner you can plan for it. I know how some of you planners are. You like you you like to you like to know in advance. And then I'm over here like, what are we doing in just a minute, you know, so, uh, and that's okay. Well, hey, uh, we're going to jump into Ruth here. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and get it out and uh, go with me to Ruth chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, our ushers have Bibles, uh, and they would be glad to bring you one. If you don't own one, you can keep that one. We'd love for you to take it, consider it a gift. Uh, but Ruth chapter 4 is where we are today, uh, and we're going to uh, finish this sucker out. So uh, excited about that. Uh, and it really has been such a, such a great, great, uh, you know, uh, time in the scriptures for me personally. And I think for our church, I've had a lot of people talk to me about it. Um, always grateful for the feedback, uh, even if it's not good, uh, you know, feedback or whatever, I'll take it, you know, so, but, uh, no, it's, it's, it's been really good and I, I appreciate it. And, uh, just, just love seeing the Lord work through his word in the, in the life of our church. Um, this, uh, so I don't know if I have it in me to do another like recap of everything in Ruth. I've been doing that for weeks on weeks on weeks. Uh, but, but the very, very short is we've had a family that's been through a lot, been through a whole lot, been through a lot of loss, been through death, been through, uh, just probably moments of despair that most of us probably could identify with because of maybe something that's happened in our lives at times where it just feels like, uh, there's just no hope. And, uh, you know, that's probably definitely the case for 
Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi, uh, who were left uh, husbandless, left as widows, um, left without their, uh, Naomi was left without her sons. And, uh, you know, just put in this crazy situation, uh, not to mention that, you know, we've got Ruth who, uh, you know, basically uh, Naomi and, and, her, and her husband, Imelech, you know, they had, they had moved to Moab. They had left, left God's people, left his place that he had picked out for them, went to another country, uh, met uh, the, the boys, both their boys met, uh, met ladies, married these ladies, uh, were married probably around 10 years or so, and then uh, Elimelech and both the, both the boys all die. Uh, no children were had, uh, the, uh, and the scripture's kind of clear about that, kind of leaniness to believe, you know, that they were barren or whatever, and, um, you know, all of this. And so, um, you know, they go, Naomi and Ruth, one of the daughters-in-law, end up going back uh, to uh, the people of God, going back uh, to Judah, going back to be with the people of Israel and all this. And and so then, you know, we have this moment here where, you know, she's having to do all this stuff. Ruth's having to do all this stuff to kind of carry them. The daughter-in-law is kind of carrying the load, so to speak, you know, and, 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 and she's fine with it. She's cool with it. But uh, again, just very, very hard moments, trying to provide, trying to do the things that they need. And God keeps providing, you know, in fact, if you get real specific in the story of Ruth, there's two times that God's, where it's, it specifically talks about God's provision. Uh, one of them is in the food, in, in, the, in, the, in the, uh, the famine being done, and the food coming back in, the harvests coming back in, so to speak. And then, and then later on is the, is the passage that we're going to read today. Uh, and so I want to go ahead and jump into this. Ruth chapter 4, uh, verse 13 uh, and at this point, we have seen now Boaz, who is the guy that owned the field that Ruth worked in, and they, you know, were probably making eyes at each other and these kinds of things. Uh, but then at the end of the day, uh, Boaz was also distant relative, could be what was called a kin's redeemer, a redeemer in the sense of that he could marry her and continue on the bloodline of her ex-husband. It was kind of crazy. Uh, to think about, but that's the way they did it back then. Uh, and then, uh, you know, that they could have kids and continue on this kind of stuff. You know, again, in a crazy situation where I'm sure Ruth probably felt like, you know, God's, God's done with me, you know, and not to mention that she had been from another country, didn't know their God, and then was introduced to their God and even said, I want to go back to your country and, and be with your people and worship your God. And so that's, that's kind of where we're picking up today is we're right after Boaz has now gone to the courts, basically, and done the legal proceedings right before this in, verse, in chapter 4. He's done the, the legal proceedings, so to speak, to make it where Ruth can marry him or he basically can take Ruth. He can buy her, buy the property that belonged to Naomi. I know, kind of crazy. Uh, but he's in love. And he wants to marry Ruth, and he's like, I'll do whatever it takes. And so uh, he goes after that, and that's where we're picking up. Ruth chapter 4, verse 13, and it says this. It says, so Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the, woman, then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. 
He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and and became his nurse. And the women in the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They called him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. So we have in this, this little passage, pretty interesting, you know, some of the things that are happening. Let's just go back up to the, to the top here, verse 13. And it says, uh, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. So uh, he took Ruth and, and literally it's saying he took Ruth and it is meaning he took her to be his wife. He took her home is really almost kind of the translation there uh, to be her wife. Uh, and then, you know, we have this next part here. He went into her, and of course, uh, I think we, we know where this is going. But actually, if you want to get literal with translation here, it's talking about he's going into the bridal suite to lay down with her. And then, of course, she bore a son as well. And so, you know, all in, all in one verse right here, we got about nine months going on. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's very condensed. Okay. I, I think, I think it's worth noting. Uh, it's, it's not, it wasn't like a miracle and they had a son the next day. <laughs> you know, it was, it was, this is, there's a little time, uh, you know, thrown into this. And I think that that's worth noting. Um, but you know, even so, I think that it's also worth noting that going back to what I was talking about a few minutes ago about how Ruth was barren. If you look if you look at the lineage that leads to Jesus going back through all these people, you will find over and over and over these ladies who were not supposed to have children. I mean, historically speaking, and out of some of the craziest circumstances, by the way, Boaz's mama was a prostitute. Okay, I mean, again, you can go back, you can check, we don't have time to, to dig it all up, but I mean, there are so many situations over and over going back and going back and going back where we see God working in the lives of people that probably would think, and sometimes we might be guilty of thinking, oh no, God's not going to do anything with that. He's done with that. Folks, he's not done with anything. If we're here, there's a reason for it. There's a purpose for it. And we see here with Ruth, even this, you know, amazing thing that is happening and, and really even still a, a little bit to me, just, it feels like the foreshadowing of like, you know, he's, he's, God's going to use this lady who couldn't have kids to have a child that would be the father of, and the father of, and the father of, and then somebody else that couldn't have kids to have a child uh, who would, you know, be the father of, that would be the father of, you know, and keep going and keep going. And this happens over and over throughout the story of God. And the story of history, you know, and, and to the point that it's like, you know, I'm thinking, you know, if, if, if I'm just an outsider looking in, I'm thinking, well, God surely would do something really cool when, his, you know, when he's going to send his actual son to earth to join us. Like, maybe how could he trump a barren woman? How about a virgin one, right? And so, again, it's like this amazing amazing story of God working through the craziest of situations. 
Let me, let me just help you with something right quick. If you're, if you're in one of these moments in life where you feel hopeless and you think to yourself, you know what, I just don't, I don't, even, I don't see a way, I don't see how God could use this, I just, you know, what, what, what is it even worth? Listen, God wants to use that story. Don't waste your suffering. God wants to use your story. He wants to use you to glorify him. He wants to use you to lead other people to him. I love what these ladies do. So first of all, we've got, you know, we've got the women coming back. This is the crowd of women. You remember, the, you remember these women? You know, I don't want to call them a gaggle or something, but I won't. I don't know if they're a gaggle or not. It just seems kind of fun. But, you know, that's me adding to the scripture. scripture I'm not going to do that. Uh, but, you know, so we've got, we've got these ladies. And these ladies, we've seen these ladies before. These ladies were earlier in the, in, the, in the scriptures here in the book of Ruth, right? You remember them? In the beginning of chapter 2, when Ruth and Naomi come to town... And remember what, what happens. All these ladies gather around. They're like, oh, are, aren't you Naomi? Right? Remember that? And they're like, aren't you Naomi? And, and, and she's like, you know, uh, no, I'm not. And I'm sure Ruth was like, what? You know? And if you remember, she's like, no, I'm Mara. And Mara meant to be bitter. And basically, Naomi just, I mean, she wasn't just wearing her emotions on her sleeve. She's renaming herself her emotions, you know? And so she, she takes on the whole, like, I'm, I, I'm not just bitter. I am the personification of bitter, you know? I am bitter. I am Mara. No longer will you call me Naomi. Um, you know, it, it's, it's interesting to see, you know, how God uses the naming thing here. Because, you know, first of all, even with, like, Naomi and her bitter thing, uh, Naomi's name, Naomi meant sweet. So basically it was like she was, she was literally going to be the opposite of what her real name was uh, for these people. But anyway, these people, these ladies that came to her to begin with, they came, as far as we know, in a, in a caring sense of like, you're, it's Naomi, you're back, we're glad to see you kind of a thing. And she's like, ah, you know, don't, don't get too excited, I'm bitter, I'm Mara. You know, and so... Uh, but now these ladies have come back. Verse 14, it says, Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. This is huge. This is huge. I mean, basically, they're, they're, you know, they're praying this prayer over this child and over Naomi in this moment. First of all, they're praising the Lord for what he's done. And they're, you know, they're kind of having a, you know, Naomi, you don't have to be bitter anymore party, right? And, um, you know, in the midst of that, they're like, and, and what a blessing this child is going to be. And we're praying that this child would be known in all of Israel. And again, I can't help but wonder like how much did they really know in the moment, like did God move in their heart for them to say that in some way and in some fashion that they knew in that moment that what they were speaking was something that was going to be so true that everyone would know and speak of his name from the lineage of David, from the lineage of Jesus, all of these things that this, this amazing thing was happening. Did they really no, I don't know that they did, but how amazing that God would use them to say such a thing that this child would be known by everyone 
uh, and then they go on that he should be, uh, that he shall be a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. They're, 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 they're putting a lot on this kid. I'm just going to say, you know, you ever been to the ball field and you got like one parent that's like, you know, oh yeah, my, my kid, my kid's the best one out here, you know, and, and it's the, you know, they can be like, you know, three years old and they're like, this kid's going to the major leagues, you know, and uh, we, we've seen that and, uh, you know, it, it feels a little like that almost to a certain extent, but I don't think that that's the way it's meant. I think the Lord is working in this moment through these ladies to say these things that are prophecy of what's going to happen with this kid. You know, that he, that, that the Lord knows that this kid is going to be who takes care of Naomi, who carries Naomi in her life, who, who's going to be the one to literally be her redeemer, so to speak. Uh, you know, and, and, and really there's a transfer here of, of the redeemer onto Obed. If, if, if you're paying attention to the way that the scriptures are written in this part of the passage, uh, you know, Obed actually becomes this redeemer figure that we see uh, the family needing, that we see Naomi needing, that we see um, Ruth needing. Uh, but really, this is, I mean, if you're, if you're really looking at it, I mean, this is really directed at Naomi. Naomi is the one that was bitter. Naomi is the one that had lost hope. We don't, see, we don't really see Ruth lose hope. Now, I'm sure she had some bad days, okay? We all have some bad days. What we don't see is we don't see her losing hope. We do see Naomi losing hope, and we see these ladies coming around her and encouraging her and saying, what an amazing thing this is. We, we hope and we're praying right now that, that the world knows the name of your son. And that, you know, that he does great things through him, that he would be renowned, all of this stuff. You know, and here what you've got is, is, is you've got something that's going to come true literally to the point of that you have to think like these folks. I mean, I know for me personally, when I have seen genealogies in Scripture, a lot of times I'm like, and here was the genealogy section. Okay, let's skip that and go down here, you know. Um, and, and that's understandable. But I think it's also important for us to understand the importance of the genealogies. Uh, and a lot of times we have, uh, and kind of like what we have in Ruth here, we have, uh, and even what we have here at the end that we'll read in just a minute, is really more of a, a, a kind of a condensed genealogy helping us to see, you know, who's leading to where and that kind of thing. Um, you know, but, but really for the people of that time, how important it was that they knew well, that's so that you know that's so and so's son. You know who his dad was. Well, his dad was so and so, and his dad was so and so, and his dad was so and so. You know, and it keeps going, it keeps going, and they could name this stuff off. And I was trying to think of like modern day, like you know, how do we, you know, what does that look like to us? I thought about like you know George W. Bush, and then you, uh, and then you got you know the senior George Senior, and uh, you know, uh, you know, and I came up with with a, with a few others that maybe you're not aware of, like Tone Loke and MC, Young MC were cousins. Okay, that's an important piece of history. Uh, Al, here, here's one for you. Al Roker and Lenny Kravitz are cousins. Do with that what you will. Uh, Dennis Leary and Conan O'Brien are cousins. That's, I, I kind of see that. But here's the one. I'm, I'm about to rock your world. You ready for this? You can go tell everybody about it and tweet it and hashtag 24church and we love Jesus. Francis Ford Coppola is Nicolas Cage's uncle. 
right? All that to say, the importance of like who these people are and literally what we see God doing and weaving in and out of history, okay? Like it's, it's fun with the pop culture thing, but I mean like, you, you, I mean, this is history, right? This is history and it's not just history, it's history that leads to our Savior. It's history that leads to Jesus, it's history that leads to the people of Israel having a king. And all these years later, here we are, and we're talking about Obed. And we're talking about his place in history. You know, it's, it's amazing. We see, you know, we see this amazing love story between Ruth and Boaz, and it's this reminder that God enjoys us enjoying one another in our lives. And, you know, the, the, the piece of the puzzle, and I'd love to tell you today that, you know, and, and, a lot of, and some people say this, you know, everybody's got, a, everybody's got a Boaz or everybody's got a Ruth or whatever it may be. Uh, and, and the truth is, is that's not also always necessarily true. God calls some people to singleness, you know. And I think if we're not careful, we, we make an idol out of the idea even of having a relationship. Now, does God want us to have relationships? Absolutely. I truly believe that. And he blesses those relationships, especially that are honoring to him. Let me say that again. He blesses those relationships that are honoring to him. And I have people all the time, you know, like, oh, well, what do you think about, you know, this? What do you think about that? I know scripture says this. No scripture says it. I'm just, I'm just telling you, like, if you want God to honor your relationship, then honor him with your relationship. If you want him to bless your relationship, then, then seek him with what that relationship looks like. May it be a biblical relationship. This is an amazing transaction of things that happen here. You know, in this moment, we see uh, Ruth, to, Ruth and Boaz marrying, having a child, uh, Naomi being blessed. I mean, just all this kind of stuff, uh, you know, and, and we see God's love for his people, like really flowing out of this situation. And, and I think, you know, we, it's easy for us to go, well, you know, yeah, everybody, you know, wants a kid and everybody, you know there's so much more to this than just the surface level relationships that we're seeing here. This is the story of God playing out in the lives of these people for his kingdom, for his glory to lead to his son. This son, Obed, which would be short really for Obadiah, uh, actually translates servant of Yahweh. Servant of Yahweh. I love, I love all the meanings of the names. By the way, I love the fact that all the ladies apparently get to have a part in naming the kid. You notice that? Like, they're so excited. They're like, we got a name for your kid. You know? And I don't, you know, we don't see, we don't see, we don't see the family balking at this. They're just kind of like, oh, all right, let's go with it. You know? Must be good. And, uh, you know, but, but his name means servant of Yahweh. Naomi, again, Naomi meant uh, pleasant, sweet. Mara meant bitter. Uh, Boaz means uh, uh, in him is strength, you know. And I think we see that. We see that through that. And I, and I know, you know, in this day and age, we don't, we don't put, you know, that kind of stock in the names. But I, but I think, truthfully, again, what we're seeing here are the glimpses of God working through his people. And the glimpses of, you know, how he, 
is calling these people into the world who they're going to be. Like Boaz, for example, you know, in him is strength. You know, for Obed, we don't get to see what he accomplishes in life. We don't know, you know, all of the things. We didn't, you know, we didn't get his, you know, uh, high school prom pictures. You know, we don't know what he majored in in college, whatever it is. You know, we, we don't get any of that. Um, but his life and his purpose was for the kingdom and for kings, including the king. You know, the servant of Yahweh, his name, the servant of Yahweh, he would be in the family tree to get us to the greatest servant of all time. In fact, I, I want to read that, Mark 10, 45. Mark 10, 45 says this, it says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's, that's our Jesus. That's Jesus. And so God would have many servants before Jesus to lead the way to Jesus. You know, and here in this whole picture of all this, we see God choose to use this baby boy to do something great, which sounds a whole lot like other moments in history with God and what he chooses to do. Naomi probably thought she had been forgotten. She probably thought she'd been forgotten. You know, to the point, I mean, she's, you know, she's bitter, you know. She's like, this is what God dealt me, and, you know, he's going to leave me over here with this for the rest of my life. I'm going to be bitter. You know, I'm going to be a sourpuss, you know, whatever it is. And uh, that's going to be my life. Call me Mara. But I'm guessing that Naomi probably wasn't the only one to feel that way throughout this story. There were probably moments, you know. You got you to gotta just take into effect what Ruth had been through. She lost her husband. She lost her father-in-law. She lost her brother-in-law. Technically, they, kinda, they end up losing the sister-in-law because they move back and she stays. So there's, a lot of, there's a lot of change, and it's not pleasant change, I'm sure, in their lives. But throughout this whole group of people, I'm sure even though they felt this way, the truth is, is that God did not forget about them. And he's not forgetting about you either. If you're in one of these moments, he's not forgetting about you. In fact, he's pursuing you. And maybe he's pursuing you this morning in some way. Maybe he's trying to lift you up in some way this morning to remind you and say to you, you're not forgotten. You're still mine. I still have a plan for you. He will never leave us or forsake us. But the truth is, and, and I know this, is that sometimes the word alone is one of the hardest words there is. We have, we have some people, a lot of people in our church, I know that over this past year uh, have found that word alone in a new way, in a way that probably they wish they hadn't found it ever before. We've had many folks pass away this year. We've had uh, many folks left as widows. Um, I feel for them. I feel for them. If you're one of those people... 
I want you to know that we love you. We care for you. We want to be here for you. Please reach out and help us to know how we can do that. I talked to a friend of mine this week. I just happened to call him. Uh, it was just kind of a happen chance thing. Uh, and then I got to thinking about him as I was studying for this message. And um, he travels a lot now for his work, for his job. And uh, we have not done as good a job at keeping up with one another in the last little while, but we've been very close over our lifetime. Um, and I called him, and, and we're chit-chatting, and everything's hunky-dory, and he's talking about the job and a possible new job and this and that and other and, you know, all these types of things. And uh, uh, while we were on the phone, you know, he just randomly pulled up into a parking lot, and, uh, and he said, I don't want Whataburger. And I said, okay. I said, thanks for that. And uh, I think he was in Mississippi, by the way. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, he said, yeah, I, I don't want Whataburger. I said, okay. I said, what, what are we getting at here? And he said, um, well, I see, and he named some other restaurant. It was more of a sit-down type restaurant. He said, I, honestly, I'd really rather go over there and, and eat that. And I said, okay, what's the dilemma? And he said, can I just say something? I said, yeah. He said, I really don't want to go eat alone. He said, that's the hardest part about this job. He said, I hate going to eat alone. I think that we can understand that today. I think even folks that, you know, I know a lot of folks struggle with being around lots of people or not, not very, or very uh, extroverted or whatever and more introverted. Uh, I understand that. But even, even still... God's called us to have people in our lives. We've not been called to do this alone. We've been called to do this with other people. With other people sharpens us, helps us, encourages us in, in ways that we just don't even realize a lot of times. The passage goes on here where we see Naomi, you know, being really kind of blessed, if you will, by these ladies, you know, they say this statement in verse 15. I want you to read this one. He says, He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. They're, they're saying some things to her in this moment that really maybe don't have to be said, but they're trying to really encourage her and say, first of all, we believe that this child is going to bring new life to your life. Now, <laughs> they didn't quite understand how much new life it would bring. As a reminder, even the folks of the Old Testament are saved by the blood of Jesus, okay? And like they were looking toward and to a Messiah to come, you know? And one day they would understand we can't keep the Ten Commandments. We can't be perfect. We need a guy who can, though. And so even for... Naomi, her salvation rests in Jesus, who now rested in her grandson to be way down the family tree to lead to Jesus for him to be with us. Again, this is, this is the way the Lord, you know, wanted this to play out. But then, then he, they go on further and they said, and they, they speak of Ruth 
And again, I think they're just really trying to encourage Naomi and say, hey, you know, we, we realize and we recognize like how much love you have for her and how much love she has for you. But they say, for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Now this statement, seven sons, is, you know, sounds just kind of like, oh, okay, well they're just kind of like throwing some words around now or something. No, the, the meaning here is really great because again, in this time in history, like everybody wanted a son. You know, it's all about getting a son, a son to be able to carry on the family's name, uh, you know, a firstborn to, uh, you know, be able to lead out and, 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 you know, take care of the family and all of these things. And, and here, again, they haven't, they haven't been able to, they haven't had a redeemer until now, uh, a kin's redeemer until now, uh, and then on top of that, you know, have gone through all that they've gone through. So in this moment, them saying, we know that Ruth means more to you than seven sons, is saying, we understand how great of a love you have for her, and the Lord has now blessed you through her to have this son that is going to be the one who takes care of you, you know, not, is your kin's redeemer, uh, which you probably doesn't realize is going to be, uh, you know, lead down the line to your actual redeemer, you know, all of these things, just an amazing, amazing piece of the story. And then in verse 16, it says, then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And so, you know, we almost kind of see a picture here of uh, Naomi is going to, you know, do probably a lot of the taking care of the child. And I'm sure she's plenty glad to do that uh, after everything that they've been through. And the women of the neighborhood, verse 17, the women of the neighborhood, that statement alone sounds like, you know, a sitcom. You know, uh, the women of the neighborhood, uh, you know, started a community watch. No, uh, uh, the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. And he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And then we see a little more of this genealogy, and I want to I play this out. Verse 18, it says, now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Ezron fathered Ram, Ram fathered uh, Aminadab, Aminadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered uh, Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Salmon's the one who married a prostitute uh, to have Boaz, this is a crazy story of itself, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. And here we're reminded of something, we're reminded that there was a need at the time for leadership. You remember this, right? You remember the, the last verse of the book of Judges? I'm going to read it to you. Judges 21, 25. This is the passage right before we start the book of Ruth, okay? Judges 21, 25, and it says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. In those days there was no king in Israel, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Everything was nuts. Everything was nuts. A guy like Boaz was like one in a million. Because, you know, give a bunch of sinners the chance to just do whatever they want to do, they're going to do whatever they want to do. You know? And, and, you know, suddenly, oh, well, there's, there's no law. There's no enforcement of law. You know, well, okay, we'll just, you know... So I would venture to say people trying to follow the Lord, trying to bless their employees, 
trying to go about finding a wife in some godly manner. I mean, it, this, is, this is an amazing chain of events that we're getting to see these little pieces of Boaz's life to understand that this guy's a guy who loved the Lord. Loved the Lord. And therein lies, you know, I think some of this, you know, God, you know, having this plan that he was going to use this guy and his family to be a part of the ultimate family tree to one day to provide the king that they would need, a King David. But understanding also that even beyond a King David, that there would be a greater king yet to come. They needed a king, and they'd get one, and we would too. Out of this family, out of all these things happening, and even though the family tree would be riddled with scandalous situations leading up to Jesus, it proves that we should never count ourselves out on God's willingness to use us, even after great mistakes in this life. It's real easy to come to church and sit here and think about all the places where you've messed up. You know, I shouldn't have done that. Maybe I shouldn't have done it. You know, and... and and, and where we end up is, is these things, you know, morph and become parts of our lives. There's nothing you can do about, you know, some of these things at a certain point. And we realize that. But we're still carrying the weight of that with us. And folks, we've got to let that go. Jesus didn't die on the cross that we'd go around carrying all the weight of the things that we did in the past to keep us locked down from doing the things that he's calling us to do in the future. God wants to use us for his glory. That is the purpose of our lives. You want the purpose of your life? It's that. Glorify God in everything that you do. And let the shackles be gone. Because the Lord wants to use you and work through you that other people would know Jesus because they know you. That's it. And I'm reminded of this, Romans 3, verse 22. And it says, The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all, all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. All, all have fallen short of the glory of God. And we can receive Jesus for all who believe. We are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We don't earn gifts. We receive them. What God has done for us is something that literally all we can do is say, yes, I believe. I trust in you, Lord. The great part is, we're all sinners. You're like, really? Is that great? I think so. I think so because it levels the playing field. We're all sinners. And the, and, and the great part of that really leads to the fact that Jesus came to save sinners. Jesus didn't come to save the perfect people. He wouldn't have needed to have done that. How amazing is his grace.
I bet Ruth never imagined what would happen later on the day that she told Naomi that she was going to her land and wanted to worship the God of Israel, her God. I bet, I bet Ruth didn't realize what would come with that. It's unreal. It's unreal. There's a moment in time right there where she belongs to another people which believed in other gods and somewhere in there the Lord spoke to her heart and helped her to see her need for him and she followed him literally to the point of following Naomi back to be with God's people and the people of Israel to worship him and her life would be changed forever. What's God want to do in your life? What's God want to do in your story? May I remind you, God doesn't forget us. He forgives us. We are never forgotten. We are amazingly forgiven. If you've never received Christ as your Savior and you would like to talk to somebody about that today, when I get done here, I'm going out there. I would love to pray with you and talk with you about that. Let's pray together. God, thank you for helping us to see parts of how you've worked out your story. What a blessing that is for us today, Lord. God, I pray that we wouldn't take it for granted. God, I pray that we would recognize our, not just our need for you, but that you want to have a personal relationship with us, that you want to work in our hearts, help us to follow you. Help us to grow in who you are. Make us more like you. Make our hearts look like your heart. God, we need you today as much as we needed you the day you saved us. God, thank you for never forgetting us. Thank you for always being there for us. Thank you for never forsaking us. Thank you for the constant reminder throughout your word that it is all about your son, Jesus. God, thank you for the redeemers that you send in our lives. But Lord, thank you ultimately for the redeemer, your son, Jesus, who gave his life on the cross, defeated death on our behalf, that we might have life. Lord, thank you for him. God, I pray for anyone, Lord, that is listening to this, that has never, never trusted, never believed in you as their savior. God, I pray, Lord, that today would be the day that you would do something special in their heart. Lord, help them to see their need for you. God, may they trust in you and believe in you today in a way that they never have before and say, Lord, become my Savior. Lord, save me from my sin. Make me yours. God, I pray that you would do that in the lives of those that don't know you. God, thank you for your son. We ask all this in his name. Amen.